Well, I trust that you received a bulletin on your way in. There's an outline on the right side of it. On the back of it, you will see some connect group questions. If you're new to us, we are beginning a new ministry here, uh, reviving in one sense an off-campus groups ministry entitled Connect Groups. And those questions are designed to flow out of the sermon I'm about to preach. And these groups meet bi-weekly, starting in a week or so, to discuss these questions around food, around fellowship. We had a preview night last Sunday night uh, down in the fellowship hall with food and fellowship, and we had uh, some of our leaders there, about 20 of them, and we had a wonderful time thinking and praying through what this is going to look like in the days ahead. There's sign-up sheets out there. Please look for a spot or a slot open. Uh, I realize some of you have asked, are we going to get some more groups, some more leaders in place? The answer is yes, as we continue to see a need for that begin to emerge, particularly for young families who desire childcare. So right now, those are full. But if you're in this room and you have children and you want to be in a group and you're like, there's nothing out there, please send an email, PVC Connect Groups at pvcmail.org. Send an email there, see me or see Andy and Meredith. We'll make sure that you get in a group. We want no one left behind on this. We want everyone to be a part that desires to be a part. We believe that it is a vehicle that God will demonstrate his ability to use to help you mature in your faith, grow in your maturation in Jesus Christ, and grow in your connectedness. You know, as our group, as our body grows numerically, these, these groups are going to help us be able to stay connected as well. And so the Sunday morning Bible, Bible study groups we have, there's not a lot of time built in those morning groups for prayer time, for connectedness. We do the best we can, but we're, we're, we're dealing with a little bit amount of time. And so those are designed more for you to get content. We're walking through the gospel project for you to get the content of the Word of God. Connect groups are designed to be around a sermon, but for you to have that connection. Like if you have things going on in your life and, and the bottom has fallen out, you need somebody to talk to. You need someone to pray with. You need someone to fellowship with. And I'm just telling you, as much as we want that, some, some of that to happen on Sunday morning, it's hard to do all that. But our connect groups provide you that opportunity. So I hope that you'll take us up on the offer. These are open to anyone who wants to be a part of one. The prerequisite, really, is to, if you're not here for the sermon, then on any podcast that you look at now, if you're an Apple Music type person, your Spotify, whatever medium you want to use, if you, if you Google Pleasant Valley Church, our sermons are there. You can listen to them while you, uh, I hope, have your Bible open, but if you're walking the dog, that works too. Um, the main thing is, is you get the Word of God in you, and if you're online, we're so glad that you have joined us as well. Nehemiah chapter 3, if you've not made your way there yet, I want to invite you to do that. The title of this sermon is Kingdom Advancement. Kingdom Advancement. And here in chapter 3, the rebuilding of the wall commences. This is when the real work begins. Nehemiah has prayed. 
He has waited. He has went before the king. The king has done the unthinkable, providing for him an entourage, gave him a credit card, gave him all kinds of stuff to be able to go do the passionate pursuit that God had given him to go rebuild the walls as God, watch this now, is spiritually restoring the hearts of his people back to him. So pray with me. And then we're going to jump in. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for demonstrating that love by giving us opportunity to reflect upon the bloody cross, the empty tomb, and the occupied throne of the Lord Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords. And while you, Jesus, have not conquered physical kingdoms yet, one day you will conquer every rival kingdom in this world. We thank you right now, though, that you've conquered human hearts. You've conquered our heart. You've won our heart. You've, you've, you've showed us that you were our greatest need, and you continue to be our greatest need to feast upon and meditate upon And Holy Spirit, we ask you now that you would sanctify us by your word, Nehemiah 3, for your word is truth. And so, God, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And Lord, what we are not, please make us. All to the glory of your great name. And everybody said, if you're new to the Bible, Nehemiah is in what we call the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God has chosen a people to be his special possession. It was to this special people, to his chosen people, that he is going to demonstrate his special grace and his special love upon. He chose them, and then he led them out of tyranny under a dictator, a rival kingdom. That was led by Pharaoh. And yet, all that God did for Israel, they got their puny fists in the air from time to time, and they rebelled against him. And they said, we don't like your code of ethics. We don't like the way that you would ask us to live our lives. We we don't like the certain food you've told us we cannot eat. We don't like the certain food you've told us we can eat. We don't like all these rules, God, that you've given us. So therefore, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to YOLO. We're going to do one life to live. We're going to live it the way we want to. And they rebelled against the Lord. And so the Lord did what a good parent does. He disciplined his children. Kids, if you're in the room, listen to me, and your parents discipline you, and it's gracious, and it's redemptive, you ought to thank God for a mom and dad like that. Because a mom and dad that will not discipline their children don't really love their children. So good parents will always discipline their children, not to break their spirit, but actually to help them be better, ultimately pointing them to the hope of the gospel, because that is what changes the human heart. As we discipline, on a side note, we discipline with gospel hope, do we not? We discipline knowing that for our kids that are not saved, we're asking them to do something uh, from the outside in, and that's really hard. 
And so as we're asking them to, to don't do that and do this on the outside, we do it knowing that their little heart needs to be changed. And until their heart is changed, they won't, sometimes they won't see joy in the discipline. But as their heart changes in the gospel, they'll begin to see, I have a great mom and dad. And you, may, you need to be delayed, moms and dads, in your gratification. You need to understand that some of the seeds of faithfulness you're putting in when you're disciplined right now, you may not see it for a mighty long time. But you work as unto the Lord and let Him bring the harvest. And that's what happens here in the life of Israel, by the way. Um, God disciplines His people, and the way He does it is He providentially uses rival nations to come in and sack them and overtake them and oppress them and bring pain into their lives. And even though God disciplined them, He never divorced them. He never said, I'm going to get me another, another one. I'm going to get me another people. I can't stand that. He never, he, never, he never did that. But He did discipline them. And, but He never forsook them. Remember this. He disciplined them, but He did not forsake them. And so the book of Nehemiah and the prequel, Ezra, remember in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are not apart. The Hebrew Bible says Ezra-Nehemiah. It actually goes together, these two books, because Ezra and Nehemiah is telling one story, one story, and that story is God is restoring the spiritual hearts of His people and the physical structure of His people, their hearts and their structure. Their hearts, the fact they rebelled against Him and they're coming back and their structure, the walls that would go around the city that would inside of it have a temple where the people of God could go and receive the means of grace from the priests that God had put in order. But Nehemiah is a man who God gave a passionate pursuit, a, an ambition to go do something about the walls being torn down in Jerusalem. Now, I remind you, these walls have been down 141 years. God used a rival nation because of Israel's rebellion against him. God used a rival nation to sack them and to burn their walls to the ground. That was the discipline of God. That wasn't the nations just saying, oh, we got the people of God, we're bigger. That was God using their puny little attempts and using them to awaken his people to the fact that they've rebelled against their God. So for 141 years, this goes on. That's a long time. 141 years of discipline. And yet, Nehemiah is sitting, according to chapter 1, in the opulence of the king in a palace, in his winter palace. God puts a burden on his heart. I want these walls rebuilt. Ezra had already rebuilt and helped rebuild the temple. Ezra started kind of working on these walls, but bureaucratic, political red tape had brought the rebuilding to a halt. And now God says, it's okay, Ezra, because I got another normal guy I want to raise up. His name's Nehemiah. Nehemiah leaves the palace. He goes out. The first thing he does is he prays. Again, go back and read chapter 1, one of the great prayers of the Bible. And when you come to chapter 3, Nehemiah is now rebuilding the walls in sort of a field of dreams. You know the movie Field of Dreams, if you build it. And boy, when it gets built, they're coming back. There are at least 43 different distinct people or groups in chapter 3. 
So when you read a chapter like Nehemiah 3, you may be tempted to say, why is this in the Bible? I mean, all these names, all these places, why is this in the Bible? Well, let's, let's zoom out to answer that question, and then we're going to zoom in. God led Nehemiah to rebuild these walls because God is a promise keeper. God had told Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, I'm going to build a people for myself. For the fame of my great name, I'm going to build a people. Now, a lot, most of Israel's history was given to idolatry, worshiping little g gods, and completely turning their back on their God. And yet, God did not forsake them. He disciplined them, but His discipline was because He loved them, but ultimately God sustained them. I'm telling you, if, if, the, if Israel treated you the way they treated God, you would have said, I'm done with these people. Yet, that's not how God is. Aren't you glad God's not like you? Somebody say amen. amen. He's not like you. He's faithful. When He makes a promise, He plans on keeping it, even when it comes at a mighty price. But He keeps it. And these walls are really about the faithfulness of God. Because here in chapter 3, this special chosen people have come back to their God. They finally realize we're a bunch of spiritual fools. We blew it. And we're coming back. And their pedigree was not to advance the kingdom to this point. Their pedigree was actually to buck up against the kingdom and actually hurt it more than to help it. And, and this is amazing again because this is what God says to Israel. He says, Israel, you have forsaken me, but I've not forsaken you, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm still going to accomplish my purpose through you. So in Nehemiah 3, the reason this chapter is in the Bible generally speaking, we're going to get to the specific in a moment, but generally speaking, is because it is showing us that God is faithful to His people. He is faithful to use individuals in His kingdom to rebuild His kingdom. Today, kingdom friends, you and I in the kingdom of God today, we work for the advancement of God's kingdom. You know why? namely because God has been faithful to us. Because here's the good news, and this is why Nehemiah means anything to you, all right? This is why as a New Covenant Christian, as a New Testament Christian, this is why Nehemiah means anything to you. It means anything to you because you have been grafted in to the people of God. You've been grafted in. You, you're, not a, you're not an Israelite. Any Jews in the house today? Anybody? Crickets. No Jews in the house. So you need to be thankful for the book of Nehemiah because Nehemiah was used by God to rebuild these walls to protect Israel so that Israel could have a, a Messiah, so that Messiah could come and live a perfect life, and that not just Israel would be a part of his people, but the nations of the earth would now be welcomed into the people of God. And I don't know if this, I'll just say it, you... You and I, as New Covenant Christians, you and I are just as much His chosen people as ethnic Israel was. You and I are just as much the chosen people of God as Israel was. We've been grafted in. And this is why our passionate pursuit is exactly the same 
Our heart is exactly the same. Although we got in the story at a different part in salvation history, we're still part of the people of God. You're going to meet many of these people in the kingdom of God. And you know what? They're, they're not going to say, oh, you're a Gentile. You're not welcome here. Oh, you don't. They're, they're going to say, it's amazing, isn't it, the plan of God that included all of us, that we could be here together worshiping around the throne of our God as every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. But that... That doesn't mean, in our case, we need to build a wall, right? They need to build a wall. That, that's what God had called them to do. That was the passionate pursuit. That was their part in the story. Our job is not to build a wall. Our job is to get involved in the mission of God, however it is that He has called us to do as a church, but also as individuals. Think about this. If someone ever tells you, I want to live on mission. What is the mission of God? The mission of God. You hear that language thrown around. I need to help you understand if you don't know what that means. The mission of God. I'll put it on the screen for you. The mission of God, you should write this down, is to save His people from their sins and ultimately restore His good creation from the destructive power of sin. That is the mission of God. That is God's mission. It has always been His mission. It will always be His mission until the kingdom is consummated. Until Jesus the King comes, He conquers every rival kingdom, and He sets up His forever reign. That you and I, as kingdom people, today are already in, but we're just waiting for Him to come. This is the already not yet part of the kingdom. We're already a part, but we're not yet fully where we will one day be. And so to be a part of the mission of God means this is going to be your deal. It's going to be, I'm going to go out in my neighborhood and where I'm at, and I'm going to help people understand that their greatest need is a Savior, and that one day, the way you see things right now, Jesus is going to come and bring full restoration to the earth. Sin will be lifted. And so building a wall for us, friends, that would be missions. That would be evangelism. That would be discipleship. That would be healthy church membership. That would be training singles how to be satisfied in Jesus. That would be training families how to raise kingdom kids. That would be justice ministry, mercy ministry, protecting life ministry, pushing back darkness in a number of realms, rescuing orphans and slaves, helping the fatherless and the widow to see and savor Jesus. All of that would be part and parcel to where we're at in the story of God redeeming and restoring all things to Jesus Christ. And so we're not building a physical wall. But friends, we got work to do. We got work to do. And so before we look at the principles of this, and I really want to take this text and show you some principles of, of how God advances His kingdom and how He wants to use you and I, I want to point out chapter 3 is geographically categorized. So when you read chapter 3, it's geographically categorized. This wall that Nehemiah is going to rebuild has seven gates, seven gates around it. How many of you know you can't have a wall without a gate? You've got to have the gates in place. The gate is the pillar. The gate is the stability. The gate is what's going to hold the wall. So we've got to get the gate right. So notice chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. It's one of the gates, the sheep gate. Then notice verse 3. The sons of Hassaniah built the fish gate. There's another gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And then verse 6, 
Joiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, repaired the gate of Yeshaniah. So there's another gate. Then notice for, uh, verse 13. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zananiah repaired the valley gate. There's another gate. And then verse 14. Malachiah, I'm sorry, Malachijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. How would you like to work on the dung gate? Verse 15. And Shalom, the son of Kol Hazah, ruler of the district of Mishpah, repaired the fountain gate. And then 28. Above the horse gate, there's another gate. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emer, repaired opposite his own house. After Shemaiah, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, there's another one repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaph, repaired another section. After him, Meshilam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. And then notice 31. After him, Malchajai, one of his goldsmiths repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the Moster gate, another gate, to the upper chamber of the corner, and between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. So, five principles, very briefly, five principles I want to I lift out for us here of how the kingdom advances, all right? Number one, the kingdom advances when everyone works. When everyone works, the kingdom advances when everyone works. In this chapter, there are a myriad of different kinds of people. We got merchants, we got rulers of districts, we've got rulers of half districts, we've got temple servants, guards, priests, daughters of rulers or districts. And then check this out even the bachelors are getting involved. We got two roommates here that are also building the wall. So let us remember. Kingdom work is not for the elite. It's for the mobilized masses. Kingdom work is not for the elite. It is for the mobilized masses. The kingdom, friends, will not advance if just the elite few work. But it also won't advance if just a lowly few work. This is why the New Testament, when Paul is writing to encourage the church, he does not say elders do all the work. Yet what he says is elder's job, pastor's job, overseer's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know, I, I like to think about it like this. Um, elders are on the, on the supply chain and everyone else is on the front lines. So, our job is to get you what you need to equip you with what you need, supply chain, so that you can go and do the work God has called you to do in the life of the body. And so, if you have the idea of, uh, we are bringing on church staff, and we are paying pastors, and we are, so that they can do all the work, wrong. That is not gospel ministry. God never intended for one or two or three to do the work of the kingdom. It's, it only works if everyone works. I want to ask you this, friend. What is your part of the wall here at Pleasant Valley Church? As a, as a church member, what is your part of the wall here? Where are you building? What gate are you working on? What is your part of the wall? If your thought is, well, I don't have a seminary degree. 
I don't come from the right background. I'm not good with words. I don't like to talk in front of people. I don't like spreadsheets. I don't like this. I don't like this. I don't like that. Those are all excuses, and they start to pile up. You are limiting the Spirit of God and the gifts in which He's given you by saying, I got nothing to offer. That's an indictment upon your God. Part of the salvation plan is all the batteries were included for you to function and work the way in which God has designed you to work. So your, your role, if you don't have a part in, in the wall, is to say, Lord, what is my role? Get in the Scripture. Ask other people around you, what gifts do you see in my life? What do you see I, I get really excited about? What, because often your passion is connected to your part of the wall. What you're passionate about is where we want you to get a hammer and start working. This is why, church, this is why people burn out in church, right? Because they're, they're working with all their energy while they're passionate about the whole thing, and they should be. There are elements specifically to the wall that you've been gifted by God, passionate about, that, bro, sis, you need to be in the middle of doing that. And praise God for many in this room who you've pulled multiple efforts and multiple jobs to get us to where we're at today. But God is adding to our numbers so that the wall and the work of the wall is getting less on the few and more on the everyone. So many times we flip this around and we say, well, you know, the pastors, the missionaries, the nonprofit leaders, they're doing real ministry. I'm just a housewife. I'm just a businessman. I'm just a student. I'm just a kid. I'm just a whatever. No, you're a child of the living God. You have the Spirit of God in you. You're working where you work. You're doing what you're doing because God has placed you there. Don't limit the fact that He wants to use maybe even some weaknesses that you have, maybe for a season, to demonstrate His strength in spite of you not having it all together. So friends, the kingdom advances when everyone pulls their load, when everyone works. Second of all, the kingdom advances when everyone works together. There's unity in this effort. Everyone knows their job and they're doing it. So let me ask you again, do you know your job? What is your job? When you think about Pleasant Valley Church, you think about the work of the gospel going forth. Amen. You think about souls being saved. Amen. You think about people being baptized. Amen. You think about children's ministry being done well. You think about moms, single moms being careful. All of that stuff. Amen. But what is your part of the wall? You're not going to work well if you don't know your part. This is why we have ministry teams, right? This is why we have like 20 ministry teams, different parts of the life of the ministry of the church. We have ministry team leaders, because we want to see that this is not just about everyone working, but everyone has to be organized. Organization has to take place. Without it, we'll all just be knocking stuff together and nobody knows, all, where's all this going? Well, nobody knows, but we're busy for the Lord. We want to take all the busyness for the Lord, and we hope that it's worshipful, but we want to make it where everyone is working together. Third of all, the kingdom advances when everyone works wisely. So there's efficiency here. Now, if you read chapter 3, these folks are working across from where they live. Don't miss that. Their house is here. They're looking out at their gate, and that's what they're working on. There's a lot of wisdom in that. There's a lot of wisdom, and, and there's probably some self-interest in that. How many of you, if you were building the part of the wall that was going to protect you and your family, would you make sure it was done well? 
I think he'd make sure it was done real well. You know, when I, last, last pass I do at our house every night is I go by and make sure all the doors are locked. It's just, I don't know if it's a dadism or what it is, but I just go do it because there's a part of me that I want our family to be protected, and I will make sure those doors are locked. And, and there's some self-interest here. So there's probably motivation here to say, hey, you just, you, and there's another point principle here. You, you need to advance the kingdom where God has put you. God put them where they're living, so therefore work where he's put you. Work at the task he's given you. So people didn't get a hammer and nails and just start working. They said, no, no, there's specificity, there's organization, it's wisely done. Fourth of all, everyone works sacrificially, sacrificially. 20, verses 27 and 30, I don't have them on the screen, but you can go back and read them. There are a couple of people who are building on multiple sections. So certain individuals, they finish their part, but then they look around and they say, okay, who can I help? I got mine done. I'm not going to sit down and, you know, in our context, just have a cup of coffee and sit back and say, well, I got my part of the wall done. I can kind of relax. If you read verses 27 to 30, they actually got their part down. And then they looked around and said, who needs help? Who needs help? How, how, who needs a hand? Who needs a word? How can I jump in? So it's not about, it, it's about managing your part, but it's not only about you and your part. And this is the problem when you, 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 need, a, you need to have ownership and a sense of ministry, right, that you're doing, but you don't ever do it isolated from the whole project of the church. This is why our connect groups, we're not starting eight churches. Did you know that? We're not starting eight churches from our connect groups. These are Pleasant Valley Church connect groups. In other words, they all come back to the mothership of the wall that God is building among us. They're supporting the overall ministry. Same way with kids' ministry. Same way with women's ministry. Same way with all these ministries. It's, it's about pointing back to what God is doing, not just in you and your ministry, but recognize it's your ministry, not by ownership, hello, but by stewardship. And, and some people, you really don't know what they're made of until they don't get their way. And then you'll really see who they are. It's all smiles and good, and man, here to serve, praise God. But once they came thinking, I'm going to do this, I had a guy one time that wanted to join the church, and he said, Jordan, this is another church, he said, if I'm going to join your church, and he meant by steward, not owner, <laughs> then I demand that if I join, I get this and this and this responsibility. And I said, well, sir, brother, uh, you at the wrong place. Because the way that you get leadership here is you join the rest of us in serving. Jesus said greatness is in the kingdom is measured by how much you serve. You don't come demanding nothing. You come here and get a plunger and get on your knees if you need to scrub a toilet. You do whatever you got to do, and if God raises you up to do that, then he'll tell us and he'll tell you, and it'll be a beautiful partnership. But you come in here demanding stuff, you're, you're not, and I, I told him, I said, you're not going to like it here. You're not going to like it here. He said, why not? I said, because you like to fight, and we don't like to fight. We like unity. We like order, and it's very clear you don't. So we love you, God bless you, and that was the end of the story. Now we had coffee and built a great friendship on down the line. 
But the reality is, is you come to serve. I have a good friend that when somebody joins their church, they give them a plunger. You go up in front of the church and they get their plunger. I'm a member now, I get a plunger. The idea is there, there, there should be nothing beneath you. If there's something beneath you, then greatness in the kingdom is way above you. Because greatness in the kingdom is measured by serving, not by dictating or saying, this is what I'm going to do. And if you, So church family, let me just say this to you. The story of many years of Pleasant Valley Church, and for some of you OGs or old heads among you, have been here a long time. For some of you, this has been the story of this church. We have had a massive group of people who have worked sacrificially. The last 14 months of our family being here, what I have observed is an army of sacrificial servants. And friends, let me just affirm you and challenge you that you are doing this. We are, we are doing this. I, I know many of you, it, it almost brings me to tears to bring this up because I know many of you that do some really hard work around here. You're a dad, you're a husband, you got a really stressful job, or you're a mom, or you're this, or you're this, or you're that, or if you're retired, you got a, you know, I know you, you got a, a, a handicap, you're trying to keep up, and you know, that's work. I'm just kidding. But you understand what I'm saying is that all of us, some of us have things going, out, going on outside of here that puts pressure on us, and I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. We are who we are because of the mobilized masses of people here. This has never been about a one-man show or a two-man show or a three-woman show. It's always been about us, and it always has to be about us. It's never about me. It's never about you. It's about us. And sacrificially, we're doing it. But also, hear me say this. Keep it up. Keep it up. We got a lot of work to do, friends. There's some unfinished business in Northeast Ohio that God has called us to go meet. So don't get comfortable. Make sure you're resting and content. But, but just so you know, we, we're, just, we're just getting started with what God's called us to do. We're just getting started. And so you need to make sure right now in the ministry God has given you, do you have good pace? Can you keep doing this the way you're doing it? Do you have good pace? Are you going to burn out? Because you can't, you know, we can't get five miles down the road and you say, I'm, I'm out of here. I can't, I'm, I'm tired. Everybody gets tired. But that's why you got to be pacing right now. You need to think about your pace of life. Can you keep this up? If you can't keep this up, it's going to be bad in the end, right? This is why a lot of us quit in ministry sometimes because our pace wasn't good. And the leadership wasn't good on helping you measure that pace. So we got to be wise. we got to be sacrificial. And then finally, the kingdom advances even when some don't work. I found great solace in that. Next to them, verse 5, the Tekoites repaired. Notice, next to them, the Tekoites repaired. The Tekoites, interestingly enough, this is one of the two groups that are named as working on multiple parts of the wall. That's who the two Tekoites are. But, notice, their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. What a haunting phrase. If you're going to make it in the Bible, don't be these people. Please remember, when kingdom work is done, there will always be those who consider the task and it doesn't stir them to action. There's always going to be those people. Every church I've ever pastored, there's people on the fringes that they just, they don't want to work. Sometimes the biggest work they bring is complaining about how we're not doing it, but they won't get a paddle and get in and row with us. 
But the kingdom advances in spite of us, friends. Even when some don't work. The, gra- the grasp of your, of, of, of your understanding of the faithfulness of God will either motivate or hurt your ambition of advancing the kingdom. I mean, these folks looked out. I mean, they looked around and said, what has God done for us lately? Why should we stoop before the Lord? How dare we get a plunger? And, you know, we should pause and rather than say, I can't believe them, ask yourself this. Are there parts of your own heart right now that you are not as, as amazed as you used to be at the faithfulness of God? Are you amazed today with the faithfulness of God in your life? Or is God not as amazing as He used to be in your life? Like, He's still amazing. You didn't hurt Him. But, but your understanding and your passion of dwelling upon all that He is, because if, if, if your understanding of the faithfulness of God has grown stale, then your desire to advance His kingdom will also grow stale. They go together. Again, if anything is beneath you, then kingdom advancement is beyond you. Is there anything, is there anything that you would say, I will not stoop to serve the Lord there? I will not stoop to serve the Lord there. I'm not doing that. Is there anything that you would say, I'm not doing that? Is there anything? Now, you physically may not be able to, right? I don't know. There may be some things physically that you're not able to, or you, I don't know. But is your heart in a place that says, whatever God has me to do, I'm going to do it as an act of worship under Him, because after all, look how good and faithful He has been to me. As we close, we want to close with considering our Lord Jesus. And what did he do? He stooped down to serve us, to wash the nasty feet of his disciples. Just hours before he dies on a cross, for those same disciples, he's washing their feet. Friends, this is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is washing the feet of people that he made. You talk about humiliation. You talk about condescending yourself. We must, friends, be faithful in every area that God has passionately put on our heart as a church, but individually to the glory of God. But listen, we do it in honor of our Lord Jesus Christ because He was the ultimate stooper who stooped down and did for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. So kingdom advancement happens when everyone works, when everyone works together, when everyone works wisely, when everyone works sacrificially, even when some don't work, guess what? You're ultimately, I'm ultimately, God's not depending on us ultimately to advance His kingdom. He's God, but He has invited you and invited me in by His grace that His kingdom would be advanced on earth. So as we think about this, one phrase, and I'm going to pray for us, God is our motivation in kingdom advancement.
God is our motivation on kingdom advancements. As the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the author, he's the perfecter of our faith, and we need to run with endurance the race that is before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the motivation that will keep you going. So friends, the walls are going up, chapter 3. Next week, opposition is coming. They're going to be opposed something fierce next week as they continue to, to build and allow God to build his kingdom through their efforts on earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you told us that greatness in the kingdom, it is measured by service. May we be a church that is marked by Christ-centered, spirit-driven, kingdom-focused laboring. Together. Together. It was never about me. It was never about one individual. God, thank you for how you unusually use certain individuals to advance your kingdom. We recognize that it is your grace in them, in her, in them. But God, we don't want to skip over the fact that, that all of us are important to the work of the kingdom. All of us have a part to play. Some of us have been called to work on the dung gate. Some of us have been called to work on a, a, a more... Um, attractive gate, and yet it's all kingdom work. It all must be done to the glory of your great name. So Lord, would you help us catch the, the heart and the spirit behind this text, which is your kingdom being advanced through normal individuals. May our church be known as a church that lives for the fame of the name of God, for the glory of his beautiful name, and for the good of our community, ultimately that the gospel could go to the ends of the earth. Thank you for these rich reminder today that your kingdom is advancing and you're doing it, but thank you for choosing to do it through us, your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we stand to our feet and respond in singing?